Hello and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 11 on December 30th, 2016, coming to you out of the Low Technology Recording Room in Madison, Wisconsin. That's right, we've made the move to Wisconsin and we are working hard to establish the Institute both legally and physically. Thanks for joining us. Today we'll take a look back at the year in news as well as a look back at the year here at the Institute. We'll also have our weekly regular news roundup, research updates, and events calendar, and I'll be talking about last week's DIY feature, which is the Simple Chicken Coop. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at low underscore techno. Like us on Facebook and check out our website, lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. There you can also find all of our archived podcasts. All right, let's get right on to our primary topic. This week, we're talking about the year in review. We'll start out with environmental news, we'll talk a little bit about political news, and a few other items. The biggest news of this year, I think, was that global CO2 levels have risen above 400 parts per million. This is the highest level in recorded human history. And we know that. It's, we don't have to look just back at recorded temperatures and recorded levels, because we can go back in ice cores and actually sample the air from 5,000 years ago. We know what the CO2 levels were back then, and we are easily at the highest level in human history. It was the hottest January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, and September since 1879 when records began to be kept. 2016 will be the hottest year on record, at least unless things change in the next few days. Uh, it will have edged out the previous high temperature year of 2015. We saw the largest ever bleaching of coral reefs, largely around the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Alaska saw its warmest year ever, and the Arctic sea ice has fell to a new low as temperatures were 50 degrees Fahrenheit above average in the Arctic region. The effects are exacerbated in the Arctic, and what we see as a few degrees here in more temperate latitudes can cause m much greater swings in the Arctic. The U.S. Supreme Court stayed the EPA's Clean Power Plan, which was to set limits on CO2 emissions on a state-by-state -state basis, and this especially would have affected the coal sector, and this decision has been stayed, and we'll see what happens in the next year, although I am doubtful that the new administration will be interested in limiting CO2 emissions from coal power plants. The largest natural gas leak in U.S. history lasted for four months in Southern California, causing the evacuation of 2,500 residents and the emission of tons of greenhouse gases, especially methane. The Paris climate talks have led to a historic agreement, but recent elections and political machinations have jeopardized its implementation in the United States. Hydrofluorocarbons will be phased out by 2015, according to a new amendment to the 1987 Montreal Protocol. HFCs, or hydrofluorocarbons, are much more potent than CO2 in the Earth's greenhouse, and a limit on these will have a, a greater effect than an equal amount of CO2 being limited. One of the biggest stories of the year was the Standing Rock Sioux protest at the Dakota Access Pipeline. The Standing Rock Sioux had staged a large protest that drew people from across the country and the world to the Dakota's Access Pipeline construction project. They successfully blocked the permitting of the pipeline segment that would go under the Missouri River. As this was the last segment of the pipe, the company will likely look for alternative routes. But, speaking as somebody who worked in the regulation industry, rivers can be difficult to circumnavigate, unlike, say, a single sacred site or an obstruction, which can be gone around. 
The Army Corps of Engineers is the body that denied the permit, but we'll see how the new administration affects this outcome. At the beginning of 2016, Flint's water crisis was declared a city emergency by Michigan Governor Rick Snyder. President Obama later declared this a federal emergency as well. In 2014, Flint municipal authorities switched their water source from the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department to the Flint River, which was not properly treated, and this degraded the biofilm that covered the lead pipes in the municipal system. Now, having lead pipes alone isn't necessarily a bad thing or a dangerous thing because a biofilm, basically a thin film of biological material, builds up on the pipes and it protects, it provides a coating that separates the water from the pipes and so you're not getting lead leaching into it. However, when you change the underlying chemistry of the water, as happened here when the Flint River was pumped in instead of the cleaned water from the Detroit system, that biofilm broke down. And when it broke down, the lead was able to leach into the drinking water and expose thousands of children to lead, which acts as a neurotoxin for developing brains. A few officials have resigned, others have been fired, and 13 criminal cases have been filed. As the year went on, other municipalities have recorded elevated levels of lead as well. In January, the U.S. started exporting liquefied natural gas. The U.S. has seen a boom in natural gas since fracking became economically viable a few years ago. The low oil prices, however, led by OPEC price cuts, has slowed this industry somewhat over the last year. The Panama Canal is expanding, and on one hand, ships are a really efficient way to move things across the globe. If you're looking at the amount of fossil fuels expended to move a pound of goods, ships are a pretty green way to move things. Uh, they move a lot with a little energy. However, we might also be able to produce many of the things that are being transported so far locally, if the economy valued this mode of production. In happier news, uh, President Obama created one of the largest marine national monuments in Hawaii, carbon emissions fell, and renewable energy use rose, and giant pandas were removed from the endangered species list, and now they're just listed as vulnerable. So there was certainly some progress this year, but with the rising CO2 as the top story of the year, I think that is going to be the continued story into 2017. We have many deaths this year. Recently, Carrie Fisher, George Michael, Dr. Henry Heimlich, interestingly enough, John Glenn, Fidel Castro, Florence Henderson, Gwen Ifill of PBS, Leonard Cohen, Janet Reno, Arnold Palmer, Phyllis Schlafly, Gene Wilder, Ellie Wiesel, Gordon Howe, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Nancy Reagan, Harper Lee, Antonin Scalia, Puchos Puchos Gali, the former secretary of the UN. I just wanted to throw that in there because I wanted to say his name, Alan Rickman, and David Bowie among many others. Uh, in the low-tech world, uh, permaculture lost Bill Mollison, who was considered by many to be one of the founders of the movement. Also, Toby Hemingway, another well-known proponent of permaculture, also died this year. In politics and world news, uh, Syria has entered its sixth year of civil war, with uh, continuing knock-on effects, in, especially in Europe, where we saw terrorist attacks in Brussels, Nice, and Berlin. Uh, we also see the continuation of the migration crisis that is rampant across Europe uh, and is starting to have political outcomes. Angela Merkel is running for another term as chancellor. However, as somebody who welcomed migrants into her country, she might be uh, politically vulnerable this year. We'll see how that turns out in 2017. In South America, the Colombian government and the FARC rebels agreed on a peace deal, although its acceptance locally was fairly rocky. The U.S. Supreme Court, which numbered only eight for most of the year after the death of Antonin Scalia and the refusal of the Republican-led Senate to approve President Obama's nominee, 
uh, ruled on affirmative action, immigration reform, abortion, and voting rights. The UK voted to leave the EU in the well-known Brexit referendum, which uh, portended other elections this year. Uh, speaking of which, the US held a presidential election, but I, I can't really remember who won. Even in the face of the warmest year on record, prominent political groups have sought to deny funding for research on related issues. Many who deny the existence of global warming or humans' role in it have been elected to Congress, the Senate, and White House. Coal was declared to be a clean power source by the Republican Party platform. Zika research funding was difficult to come by and may be slashed in the new year. The president-elect denied that California was in drought when it has in fact been in drought for a number of years. Green Party presidential nominee Jill Stein came under fire for asking for more research to be done on vaccines. The Department of Energy was asked to have employees fill out a questionnaire about who's been working on climate change policies. This request was subsequently denied and later withdrawn. Uh, advisors to the president-elect have suggested that NASA should focus more fully on space rather than earth sciences, especially those earth sciences related to climate change. In research news, a solar-powered plane, Solar Impulse 2, circumnavigated the globe, and NASA's Juno spacecraft has entered Jupiter's orbit on a 20-month mission. A lot of the uh, news from this year uh, has been gleaned from a variety of sources around the internet, especially uh, Grist's Year in Review and Worst Anti-Science Nonsense of 2016, Bloomberg's Energy and Environment blog, the 2016 page on Wikipedia, had many of the deaths recorded there, the LA Times list of notable deaths in 2016, Motherboard's Happiest Environmental News of 2016, Political's Year in Review, and NPR's Top Stories of 2016. have a look at this week in low-tech news. One of my favorite articles this week was from uh, Treehugger talking about the no shampoo movement catching on and citing the fact that shampoo companies have seen a drastic drop-off in the amount of shampoo that they're selling. And I've been on the uh, no poo, which is short for no shampoo uh, wagon for a little while, a couple of years now, and you know, I wash my hair when it needs to be washed, when it starts to feel a little uh, greasy or itchy scalp. And this usually, you know, when I first stopped shampooing, this happened after a couple of days. And as I lessened my amount of shampoo that I used, it started happening less and less. And now I wash my hair about once a week, but it's not greasy. My scalp is not itchy. Uh, generally, I haven't noticed any difference once my hair adjusted to it. Because really what happened was in the 60s and 70s, shampoo companies used uh, sex symbols and other people to say, oh, I wash my hair every day, and this became a selling point for them. And they sold more shampoo than ever, and people began washing their hair every day. By washing your hair every day, it strips off the oils and other components of your hair that keep it glossy and smooth and nice, and it makes you need to then shampoo and condition your hair to basically replace what it's stripping out every day. And the idea is if you shampoo less, your hair rebounds and builds up its natural uh, luster. And this seems to happen after, a, for most people, about a month. It takes a little while because your body's been so used to overproducing all of these oils and things. Your hair feels greasy for the first while until your scalp adjusts to not being shampooed and dried out every single day. 
There were a couple other interesting stories about, for example, how urban sprawl was ca caused by the nuclear arms race. This is also from Tree Hugger. The central argument is that because a nuclear strike on a densely crowded city would have a much greater effect than if it hit a city that had spread out suburbs, the national defense industry encouraged companies to build their campuses in suburbs and outside of cities. It also encouraged the creation of the interstate system so that people could flee or move more easily. There are many interesting tidbits there that show how the threat of nuclear war may have had quite an effect on the layout of suburban America today. We also have two drought-related stories. Both of them involve heavy um, vegetable-producing regions, one in California and one in Spain. In California, they're having a mild snowfall, which means the drought, even though there was a little let up this year, will likely continue next year. Note that much of the drought in California is exacerbated by our reliance on California as a fruit and vegetable basket. Its agriculture is a very strong industry and literally draws a lot of water in California. And by exporting all their fruits and vegetables to the rest of the country, they're in effect exporting their water. So even here in the Midwest, we are in some ways culpable for the overuse of water in California. Similarly, in England, they've relied on a region of Spain for much of their salad fixings, and when that region has recently experienced drought and other ecological problems, there's been a dearth of salads in England. This all really speaks to the way that we're interconnected in our food web, and if we were able to produce a little more locally, we might be able to head off some of these problems in the future. Those are some of the stories we're following here in Low Tech News. To see links to the stories we've discussed and more, visit the Low Tech website, Low Tech Institute, that's all one word, .wordpress.com. Okay, let's move on and talk about this week's DIY feature. This week I want to introduce a new feature of the website, this low-tech design series. In short, the low-tech design series will be blueprints and instructions for building low-tech products yourself. These are designed to be built by normal people using regular tools and skills. Now, everybody has a different skill set, and if you are completely a novice to using uh, hammer, nail, saw, staples, things like that, you you might need to find a friend or family member who knows more about these things to give you a hand to get you started on building your own projects. But in short, anybody should be able to learn how to use these instructions and build whatever project they want. That's the entire goal is making technology accessible to people at a human scale and at an entry level. The first design that we're putting out in the low-tech design series is a simple chicken coop. And this coop should be able to be built in under eight hours, although the first time might take you a little longer, especially depending on your, your skill level. Um, it uses simple tools and a minimum of materials. I designed it specifically to use a single sheet of plywood and dimensional lumber that you can get at any hardware store. It's sized for two birds. You could have three in there, but if you want to do four or more, you'd have to expand it, and you can basically just stretch this out and make a larger coop with very little problem. The basic plan is just the walls, floor, doors, and things like that. It doesn't have plans for the roost or the lay boxes or something to hold the feed or anything like that. But you can very easily modify and adapt this to whatever you need. You can make it taller. If you live in a hot climate, you might want to raise it up higher off the ground to get more flow through 
for the hot times of the year. If you live in a cold area, you can very easily insulate the walls because they have uh, studs, you can put insulation between them. You can actually see in the DIY blog post from last Thursday that I've insulated it using recycled cardboard. Last Wednesday's post gave you the PDF blueprints for this coop, and then on Thursday, I did a walkthrough with photos of my own build of a larger version of this coop. These plans are completely free to use, copy, and distribute. Um, all we ask is that you keep the Low Tech Institute information on the plans, but yeah, please feel free to share them with friends. You can download a PDF of the instructions on the website, and you can see some instructions on building it, not only on the PDF, but also in the blog post where I built it myself. If you end up building one of these coops, I would really love to see a picture. Please feel free to send it to us at lowtechinstitute at gmail.com, and maybe we'll feature you on the website. That'd be great. Now let's have a brief recap of the research we have going around the Institute right now. We recently moved, and that's why we've had a lack of podcasts for the last few weeks, and I apologize for that, but uh, we moved from St. Louis, Missouri to Madison, Wisconsin, and that required selling our house, packing up everything, and moving it. As you know, I had a couple of projects going at the time. I was growing mushrooms in some beds, and those have been successfully moved to Madison, and the mycelium it continues to grow. I hope to get some button mushrooms here in February, and I'll provide pictures and some more details on that as it progresses, but right now they're just hanging out in the basement and getting watered when they dry out, and that's about it. I have two deer hides that are drying after being tanned. Uh, one of them is completely done. It just needs to be softened, which requires it being dragged back and forth across a board or some other similarly hard surface. And I have another hide tacked up to a large board that is being, and it's being rubbed with knees foot oil and a couple other compounds to make it smooth and supple. And then once that's dried out, it also has to be dragged across a board, but then I should have two tanned deer hides and with that leather, I plan to make a couple different garments like choppers, which are kind of a strong work mitten, and a couple other items. We'll see what comes out of those. I'll be sure to post anything I do on the website. In other research news, I've got worms. Not intestinal worms, of course. As we're living in an apartment right now, I had to find a way to deal with our compost. So we have gotten indoor worm bins. The worms will be here this afternoon, so I am scurrying to get my worm bins together. Those will probably be next week's DIY feature. I'll show pictures and schematic of the setup that we have for a multi-tray indoor worm composting system. And then the big time undertaking right now is searching for a permanent location for the Low-Tech Institute. We visited a few farmettes, that is a small farm, five to ten acres within a half an hour of Madison, and we've been uh, chatting with a couple different folks about possibilities in the area. We're going to be doing a few interviews with local groups and individuals who are kind of along the low-tech wavelength, and I hope to bring you those interviews on future podcasts. Our event calendar is pretty quiet right now. We wrapped up a series of bread-making workshops in St. Louis a couple weeks ago, and now we are going to be, hopefully, once we find a permanent location, announcing a few upcoming events. Perhaps a chicken coop building workshop in the spring, as well as a beehive building and maintenance workshop. So keep an eye out for those. 
Well, that's all we have this week. It was a rather short podcast, but it's the end of the year and it's been a busy time for us here with The Move. I hope to be back soon in the new year with full-length podcasts. The Low Tech Podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute at the moment. The show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Technology Recording Room. Our intro music was The Tea Party off the album Creative Commons Volume 2 by Dexter Britton. That song and this podcast are under the Creative Commons Attribution and Share Alike license, meaning you're free to use and share them as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio, and please give us a rating. It helps boost our audience reach. I'd be happy to have your feedback, which you can leave me on soundcloud.com slash lowtechpodcast. You can also find out more information about the Low Technology Institute at lowtechinstitute, that's all one word, dot wordpress.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at low underscore techno is our handle. And you can also reach me directly at lowtechinstitute at gmail.com. Thanks, have a happy new year, and see you next year.